Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. If you missed the first hour of the program, you can catch it via uh, the podcast, which you can find at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Hey, be praying for each other today. I know that sometimes you think you're the only person listening, which I totally love and get because I'm just talking to you. But um, other people are overhearing the conversation that you and I are having. And so I'm praying today for a listener in Sioux Falls Um, I don't actually know if it's a man or a woman, but they are one of the people who answer the 988 suicide crisis line. And we talked about that in the first hour. Um, I made reference to the fact that um, that that line is now open. The 988 number and text line is is open. Um, And that led to a conversation on the text line with others who were asking you know, hey, that's a government-run thing, so can people talk about God or Jesus, and, you know, how could the church partner, and da-da-da. And this sweet soul texted in and said, hey, I am one of those counselors. And so we've had a little back and forth on the text line, and um, they're going to talk today with some of their managers, and they're going to get back to us with some facts and some ways that we can engage and some ideas about church engagement as well. So I love the way God works through um, through our community of listeners, and I'm praying for you today. I'm so thankful that you're here, and I'm so thankful for the ways in which um, our time together then um, the hopefully inspires, equips, and challenges you uh, each and every day to walk out your faith in the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. That is my ardent hope. Um, and so thank you so much for the privilege of this conversation today. I wanted to take a few minutes this morning and connect some dots because we um, sometimes talk about things that are like seem wildly disconnected. And really, it's all connected. It's all uh, of of a theme. It's all um, the way that God is knitting things together. But sometimes it, we just have to pause and connect those dots. So here are a few dots I want to connect. A week ago, Gallup released its annual look at America's overall confidence in U.S. institutions. We touched on that. We talked about that, that those um, numbers are at record lows across, um, really across all institutions in the culture. Now, some of the institutions that don't actually get listed are like the institution of marriage, which seems kind of important to list, but it's not on the list. Um, instead, it's, uh, you know, the list of institutions is like the government in general or the Supreme Court or Congress specifically, which, by the way, Congress comes in dead last um, uh, on the Gallup poll. Um, but the the decline in U.S. confidence across all institutions, including ones that have signif- uh, have traditionally been very, very strong, like the U.S. military, or the police. Um, but people have lost confidence uh, in the medical system, in churches, in organized religion, in public schools, in banks, in big tech, on and on and on and on and on. And so what happens to us when we lose confidence in our institutions? That's that's one data point, one, uh, one sort of dot I want to connect today. Yesterday, 
um, Axios, which is one of the news services that I like to use at Axios.com. Axios aggregated a bunch of reports from the latest um, jobs numbers and concluded this, quote, the government is having a hard time hiring across all sectors. So the two sectors in dire need are the U.S. Postal Service and public schools. There are right now a staggering 910,000 910,000 government job openings at the federal, state, and local level across the United States, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So that's another data point. Why are people not willing to serve in, um, in the public sphere? Why is everybody who wants a job going to work in the private sector? You might have all kinds of answers to that question, but it's a data point, and I want to connect that dot today. Finally, um, this data point today Not one branch of the U.S. military, not one, to meet their 2022 fiscal year recruiting goals. Not one. Worst off, the U.S. Army. Army Chief of Staff General James um, McConville testified before Congress that only 23% of Americans ages 17 to 24 are even qualified to serve. Only only one in four young Americans, 17 to 24, would be qualified to serve. Why? Because of obesity, drug use, criminal history, and a failure to uh, attain uh, a level of, of academic performance necessary to serve in the U.S. military. So what's the military doing? Yeah, this won't surprise you. Going to have to lower the standards and give more waivers to more people. So what's at issue here? Well, what's at issue is an erosion of our foundational values. And so I want to look at that. I want to look at a loss of cohesion. I want to look at a breakdown of who we the people think we are as we the people. So let me just ask this question. How would you answer a question of national identity? If I asked you, who are we? And what on earth is this nation on earth to do at this point in history? How would you answer the question? My answer next on Mornings with Carmen. Well, welcome. Welcome. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. If you're just joining us, um, I'm the person who does the reading so you don't have to. That's uh, that's what this segment is about um, today, at least in part, because I have read the Rand Corporation's report for the U.S. Department of Defense entitled The Societal Foundations of National Competitiveness. Now, why did I read that? Because I wanted some help connecting the dots. Um I recognize that there's an erosion of foundational values in the United States. I recognize a loss of cohesion of we the people. Like, I I see the breakdown of the culture. And I can answer the question of why from a biblical worldview. I wanted to read the answer that, um, that people who are studying history and the rise and fall of nations— In the context of a militaristic worldview, not a biblical worldview, but a military, like a a military and economic competitiveness worldview, because that's that's the worldview 
that is going to be taken in a government um, uh, study of, hey, let's look over the course of history and let's see if we can tell why societies rise and fall. What do they have in common? What are the societal foundations of national competitiveness? So Dr. Michael Mazar um, is the author of this Rand Corporation piece. It's it's 419 pages long, so I'm not recommending necessarily that you read the whole thing. But I want to give you a quick summary of what they found, um, because there are some key findings. Um, the, the synopsis of the report goes like this. Nations rise and fall, succeed or fail, and they do so in rivalry. They enjoy stability or they descend into chaos because of a complex web of factors that affect competitive advantage. And there, when they're talking about competitive advantage, right, they're talking about military they're talking about military strength and economics that's what they're that's what they're talking about um and so what did they find well there there's seven leading societal characteristics associated with national competitive success so this is the question of whether a nation rises and then whether and when a nation falls so keep that in mind when we go down this list national ambition and will so think here Um, of a people who have a sense of destiny, a people who have a sense of exceptionalism and a willingness to express that internationally, literally a competitive ambition for others to be like us. And then think about what's going on in the United States and how you see the United States of America cast in a negative light by its own leaders and those who imagine that globalism is the future. National ambition and will is the number one leading societal indicator of whether or not a nation will rise or fall. The second is unified national identity. Literally, do we the people have a sense of we the people? A common set of values marking who we are, why we exist. Uh, This is the identity, belonging, and purpose question for individuals, but it's also a question for nations. Third, shared opportunity. How well are we tapping into the widest possible range of talents of every person without regard to the things that make us different? America actually really high on that one uh, and continues to be so, shared opportunity. An active state. Now, that's not statism, but that is a state, a government that actually functions in its, um, in its rightful place in the life of the people. So a right functioning of a state uh, in its primary role of security and freedom keeping. The next is effective institutions. Think here of everything from the institution of marriage and the family to education, Food supply, food security, criminal justice, health care, the military, the news media, and yes, the church, each functioning rightly to build up the whole. Every part of the body doing its part. Uh, the next two, the last two, a learning and adaptive society. So think here about a shared sense of what is good and true and a reliance upon government and the media to tell the truth consistently. This is the truth telling one. A learning and adapting society is dependent on shared information that is true. Now, the Rand Corporation calls this the problem of truth decay today in America, points to disinformation and misinformation as primary drivers of societal breakdown um, that lead to the breakdown of other areas that ultimately lead lead to the fall of a nation. And the seventh leading societal characteristic in this report is competitive diversity and pluralism. Now, when, you, when they say that, what they're talking about is the historic um, understanding of liberalism, where every idea gets brought into the marketplace of ideas and gets to compete there, free, versus today's illiberal cancel culture, um, or where everyone is offended by everything and therefore no one is allowed to say anything. 
All right, we're going to come back and talk about these factors, and we're going to talk about the way they interact with each other and where we are right now in terms of the unspoken characteristic that actually makes all of this work together. And that will not surprise you. It's non-societal factors, um, and that would be the church. They don't say it in their report that way, but I'm going to show you how the church actually matters in this conversation about when and how nations rise and fall. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, we're having a conversation here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're having a conversation about where we are as we, the people, um, why we um, have endured in the past, and the question of whether or not this nation will endure into the future. Um, And so I'm looking at a report from the RAND Corporation. It was developed for the U.S. Department of Defense. You can find it at RAND.org, or it's going to be in the direct link will be in the show notes when you pull up the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. We include all of the links that we discuss on the show in the show notes there. Um, So you can check that out later today. We talked about the seven leading societal characteristics associated with um, whether or not a nation rises and then when a nation falls. And a nation falls, by the way, after it sort of peaks and then begins a downward trend in a number of these uh, on a number of these fronts. And they're all connected. And then they drag each other down, by the way. So national ambition and will unified national identity, shared opportunity, an active state, effective institutions, a learning and adapting society and competitive diversity and pluralism. The Rand Corporation then talks about their observation about um, another characteristic, and it's the integration of uh, of factors um, that produce a quality um, among the people. And so what they what they're pointing to when they're talking about including membership in networks or um, an open exchange of ideas. When they talk about the way a people understands itself as a people, they don't come right out and say, hey, religion um, is a huge part of this. But religion is a huge part of this. And I would argue that our nation needs a restoration of the church to its rightful place in the life of the culture. Um, The challenge is that the church itself has an eroded foundation uh, in in many places across the culture. And once you have undermined the foundation of the church, which is the word of God, the character of God, um, the unique uh, salvific power of 
uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save, once you have undermined the primary foundations of the church, she cannot do in the culture what she is called and sent by God to do. She just can't. She can't righteously represent God when she's no longer standing on the word of God um, and no longer living out the character of God. Like the church is supposed to be a living demonstration of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And if she's not standing on the the very word of God and Jesus Christ alone is the way to salvation, she literally cannot do what she is called to do. And so no wonder the culture in which we live, the nation of which we are a part, is is breaking down. So um, once a nation's competitive standing begins to deteriorate, that's it. That tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like it, it tends to the the negativeness tends to um, roll in on itself. And so pessimism begins to pervade the cultural conversations of the day. Have you seen that? Have you noted that? Competitive societies tend to be positive. They talk positively about themselves. Um, They embody this very positive clash of ideas in the public square um, where people from all varieties of viewpoints are allowed to offer not only their ideas, but their talents and everyone succeeds. So what does the Rand Corporation have to say about uh, turning the tide or uh, or at least stemming the, uh, the downward trend? Well, um, they offer the Renaissance spirit. That is uh, that is ultimately what uh, what they would say um, is most consistently associated with success. The Renaissance spirit. Competitive societies tend to be open, tolerant, full of intellectual energy, a commitment to learning. They have a powerful sense of their own role in the world and a sense of mission and will. They almost always benefit from strong public and private institutions as well as a state apparatus that actively promotes advantage for all. They embody a pluralistic uh, clash of ideas and an ability of people from many backgrounds to offer their talents and succeed. So um, what role will you and I play in reversing the course? Because all of these trend lines, by the way, are now bad. These of these seven societal characteristics Um, All of them here in the United States are on a downward trend. All of them. So how are we going to reverse that? Well, we're going to pray for revival, and we're going to get back to the basics of the narrative of God's redeeming love and God's created order and God's goodness, glory, and grace. Our culture is in real decline. But people actually think it's worse than it really is. So our part is going to be to fan the flame of the good news. Our part is going to be agents of grace who celebrate the truth, who stand on the sure and certain hope of Jesus Christ and recognize that we are kept. We're a kept people. No matter what, we belong to Jesus. So questions that the Rand Corporation didn't ask, and it's not their responsibility to ask, but it's our responsibility to ask as Christians, is a worldview question, the God question. And an increasing percentage of our culture is answering the God question with a no So that is a really big dot that we need to connect and consider here today. Because three weeks ago, um, we got this report from Gallup that said that the number of Americans who believe in God has dipped to an all-time low. Well, there, therein lies our opportunity. 
Therein lies our opportunity for witness. Let's be the sowers of peace and the heralds of the good news of the gospel. Let's be people who love to tell the story. And let's tell the story today to a new generation who, whether they know it or not, are literally dying to hear it. Is there a future filled with hope for the United States of America? I don't know. I can tell you this. There's a future filled with hope for every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, whose kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. To him be the honor and the glory forever and ever in this kingdom and in every kingdom that follows, recognizing that nations rise and fall. This nation of which we are a part, the United States of of America, is still the shining example of all the nations of the earth, still the shining example of these seven leading societal characteristics associated with competitiveness. I think we just don't see it, and I think we just don't talk about it enough, and I think we don't fan the flame of revival right here and right now. All right, we are going to talk um, in uh, in the next half hour with Julie Slattery. This is a conversation about God, sex, and your marriage. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, after you've talked about politics, what else should you talk about? God and sex. Absolutely. This is a great hour. Thanks for being here. Listen to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. think God created you as a sexual person? That's a provocative question. Why do you think God created you as a sexual person? What do you think it means to be sexually whole or sexually broken? Your sex life is a spiritual battle, and it's a battle uh, for which we have been woefully ill-equipped. So we're going to talk about God, Sex, and Your Marriage with Dr. Julie Slattery. One of the things Julie says in the book, the spiritual battle for your sex life is less about what happened to you in the past and more about the lies the enemy planted in the pivotal moments of your life. So the the enemy says, my wounds says of us, teaches us to say of ourselves this lie. My wounds are so deep they can't be redeemed. The truth is nothing is too difficult for the Lord. The lie, my sins are so great, I could never be fully cleaned. The truth, as far as the East is from the West, so far has Christ removed our transgressions from us. The lie, I can't be satisfied in my current marriage. I need more. The truth, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The lie, no one understands my pain. I'm all alone. The truth, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You want to have a great sex life? Let's talk about God, sex, and our marriage. Dr. Julie Slattery up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Julie Slattery is here. She's a clinical psychologist, author, co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. It's a ministry dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. 
Julie, I could um, keep reading or we could talk. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me. All right. This is a great book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. My husband and I uh, each have a copy. We are working our way through it. Um, we are making use of the discussion questions in uh, in the back. Um, and I'll tell you that the, the one of the lead-off questions here very, very early in the book was a bit of a stumper. Why do you think God created you as a sexual person? And what do you think it means to be sexually whole or sexually broken? It was easier for us to answer the sexually broken question than the sexually whole question, and way easier to answer those questions than why do you think God created you as a sexual person? Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. We really don't talk much about the why. We talk about the rules. We talk about uh, what to avoid, what sexual immorality is. But uh, I think most Christians don't have a vision for why this matters in their marriage and actually what they're supposed to be working towards, uh, which is why I'm so passionate about the work that God has called me to do. So um, we did discover that we are normal, which means we're dysfunctional uh, based on the book. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, that's that's actually like helpful. So let's do this. Let's start with what is sex? Not the story that the culture is telling us and not even the story that the church has been telling us or has taught us over time. But what's the story of sex from God's perspective? Well, we have to realize that thing God created, he created for the purpose of revealing himself. And that's just a foundational truth that you see in scripture and you see in nature. Yeah, I was just reading the Psalms this morning and over and over, David keeps referring to uh, thirsting for God like he thirsts in a desert of parched, his tongue is parched, his body is longing for water. And if you've ever been to the Middle East, you know that people there were constantly thirsty. Water wasn't a given. And so uh, David uses the physical experience of being thirsty to say, my soul is thirsty. I'm spiritually thirsty. And that's just one example. We could talk about hunger. We could talk about uh, the picture of a good father. We could talk about the nature that we see in vineyards that Jesus talks about or sheep and wolves. But we have to understand that our human experience, including our relational experience, was all created so that we would have physical things that help us understand spiritual truths. And when we start with that premise, we say, okay, well, then what is our sexuality supposed to be revealing to us about God? And when we read the Bible cover to cover, we see it's very clear that our sexuality is meant to be teaching us about God's covenant love, uh, his covenant love in the Old Testament with the people of Israel and his covenant love between Christ and the church in our day and age. Uh, and that's a lofty concept, but it really has profound implications when we dig into that. Okay, so let's talk about that, because that's where you go in the book as well. Again, we're talking with Dr. Julie Slattery. We're talking about her book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Yes, for those of you asking, we do have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, let's talk about covenant love. What is covenant love, and how does that fit into this conversation? Covenant is one of those words that you may have heard in church, but if you didn't hear it in church, you probably heard it in your like HOA covenants or it's a legal term. <laughs> so we're really not too familiar with that, what that means. The best way to understand covenant is to compare it to contract. And most of our relationships are really contractual. 
our friendships uh, have unspoken contracts like, hey, as long as our paths overlap, we'll continue to be friends. Or as long as you don't offend me too much, we'll continue our friendship. Uh, we have expectations that are either spoken or unspoken. As long as you've got my back, you'll be a good friend. But God calls us to a totally different kind of relationship within marriage to move beyond contract and to actually form a relationship that's based 100% on character. And so we're making this promise with our character, not that I'm always going to feel in love with you, but I will always choose you. Uh, I will never leave or forsake you is what God says to us in his covenant. But like the wedding vows say, until and richer for poor and sickness and health till death do us part. Uh, and it's supposed to be this echo of God's love saying to us, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to pursue you. I'm going to continue to press into our relationship. Uh, and I think even most Christians today, because we don't talk about covenant, don't really understand that they're called to a different kind of relationship than just a romantic love. They're called to a love based on character. And it's love based on the character of the lover um, and, you know, first and foremost, God. I, I think that um, revisiting our marriage vows is such a wonderful, helpful reminder. Um, I think that, um, you know, looking at the ring on my finger and remembering um, the the language of of that circle. Right. It's it's it has no beginning and it has no end. Like even some of those things, Julie, are helpful, like physical markers, um, a, a date and time on the calendar, an anniversary where we can revisit vows made before God and in the presence of many witnesses, right? And I think that some of those things are lost in the cultural conversation about sex and um, and romance and sadly the way that many, many people have, um, frankly, lots of people in their bedroom because of past experiences and pornography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really true. And, you know, you said at the beginning of our conversation, you know, I realize we're normal and that means we're dysfunctional. And uh, the truth is like none of us come to marriage with a blank slate. We're all coming with wounds. We're all coming with some degree of having experienced sex outside of what God intended it to be. And we're all coming with a framework that was largely shaped by our culture yeah, I, I think the average, again, person of faith, even if you know God and you love God, you can't underestimate the messages that you've just consumed over the years that tell you uh, marriage is about getting your needs met and it's a contract. And as soon as it gets difficult or you're not fulfilled, it's time to seek a different marriage. And that's very different thinking than this idea of covenant to which God has called us. Mm. So good. Talk with us a little bit about um, the difference between sexual purity and sexual integrity. There's a lot of talk today about purity culture and whether it was good or whether it was bad, whether it was a mixture of both. But uh, in the work that I do, I found it so much more helpful to use this term sexual integrity instead of purity, because most people will think of purity as an all or nothing, either or. Uh, they think about it in terms of, was I a virgin when I got married? Am I cheating on my spouse? And of course, God calls us to, uh, to sexual morality. He calls us uh, to honor him with our sexuality. But 
but the the journey of honoring God is much more like a journey of uh, for all of us sort of stumbling and falling on God's grace and learning and growing. And that's the idea of integrity that God calls us to be whole people that are undivided. And that's what that word integrity means. It means uh, everything fits together. If you think about the opposite of integrity, it's disintegration where we're splintered off. And I think a lot of people, especially Christians, navigate their sex life as if it's a split off part of who they are. They think, well, this is the spiritual me. I go to church. I read my Bible. I love God. But when it comes to sexuality, that's about getting my needs met. It's about what I want. It's about what I deserve. Uh, And what God calls us to be is people who every aspect of our life has been uh, washed by his blood, uh, surrendered to his lordship and for his glory. And, uh, And this has been a journey for me and my husband asking the question, what does it look like to glorify God with your sex life? Uh, and again, people will even feel a little uncomfortable as I ask that because we're so used to splintering these aspects of our life out instead of integrating them. But that's a much higher call than just uh, a yes or no related to sexual purity. All right. Dr. Julie Slattery is the author of God, Sex and Your Marriage. We're going to continue our conversation. We're going to talk through the four pillars of a great sex life, faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial giving, and passionate celebration. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. And yes, we are giving away copies of the book today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. It's like the brightest sunrise waiting on the other side on the darkest night. Don't ever lose hope. Hold on. We're talking with Dr. Julie Slattery about God, sex, and your marriage. This is about why we are sexual persons. Um, what sex is, um, what it is not, and how we can experience the full redemption uh, of our sex life in the context of marriage. So most of your book, um, Julie, is spent on exploring the four pillars of a great sex life, faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial giving, and passionate celebration. Love for you to um, touch on any one or all of these that you think we have time for came up with these four pillars based on, again, if our sex life is meant to be a reflection of God's covenant love, what is God's covenant love? Uh, What are the aspects of his love that we grow in? And there's a direct correlate to what, or parallel to what healthy sexuality and marriage is meant to look like. And so I'll just run through these really quick, and then we can dive in wherever you want. But uh, God's covenant love is based on a foundation of faithfulness. Again, covenant is a relationship based on character. If we can't trust the faithfulness of God, 
we have nothing. We have nothing to build on. And the same is true within marriage, that if you cannot trust one another, not just to not cheat on on your spouse, but trust their character. If you're not growing in trustworthiness and that sense of, oh, I know my spouse has got my back. I know that he or she will continue to choose us. You really can't grow any other aspect of your marriage or sexual intimacy. The second pillar is intimate knowing and realizing that the whole purpose of our covenant with God is intimate fellowship and that we might know him more deeply today than we did a year ago. It's a journey of deeper knowing. And the same is true um, within our sexuality, that the purpose of the gift of sex is a journey of intimate knowing. And that's something we could talk about more. The third pillar is that there's always going to be an element and covenant of sacrificial love and that God laid himself down for us and we're called to lay ourselves down for him. And that's true in, in sex and marriage. I think a lot of people don't expect that. But God created this in such a way that it's going to require love to triumph selfishness. Uh, and that's a journey for all of this, uh, for all of us. And then the fourth pillar is the one that we're probably most familiar with, and that's passionate celebration. You know, sex was meant to be fun and pleasurable uh, and a great experience because God wants us to celebrate covenant. And there is a place for that. The whole book of Song of Solomon is really celebrating the passion of covenant. And uh, that's true in our relationship with God as well as our mar marriage relationship. So those are all so helpful. And I think that we, for the most part, only ever talk about the last one, at least in terms yeah. of what the culture talks about. And maybe um, we only talk about number three, sacrificial giving, um, when we when we tell women in the church um, what to expect uh, of sex in marriage. Um, and maybe we camp out in faithfulness when we review our histories and when we review um, particularly uh, the challenge that pornography um, presents for many, many uh, men, but also women in the culture today. So um, I would very much like to talk about number two, which is intimate knowing. Um, and just for, for those of you listening, maybe you just t tuned in. We're talking with Dr. Julie Slattery. We're talking about her book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. And yeah, we're giving away copies today. So you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, talk with us about intimate knowing, this journey of deeper knowing day by day, year by year. I'm not sure that everybody's marriage is like that. No, you're right, particularly related to sexuality. And one, one thing that I think is helpful to contrast is the difference between sexual activity and sexual intimacy. And I feel like both our culture and even sometimes our church culture is always promoting the activity of what is your body doing? How often should we be having sex? Am I still attracted to my spouse? That's all about activity. Uh, that has nothing to do with the journey of intimacy. Uh, and the cool thing is when we look at our relationship with God, almost without exception, every Christian I know will say that they've come to know God more intimately during the valleys, not, not the mountaintops. Uh, through the hard times is when we grow in intimacy with God. And I think the same should be true within our sexual relationship. Every couple is going to encounter barriers um, to sexual pleasure, 
to just communication. Instead of saying our sex life is broken because we can't enjoy it, what if you began to say this is actually an invitation to go past activity and really start working on sexual intimacy? And couples who will do that, uh, the couples that will work through uh, uh, an issue of pornography or betrayal, couples that will work through how do we grow closer uh, in, on the journey of infertility or how do we heal together from our wounds, they start developing an intimacy that is so precious that they would never trade that. And, uh, and I think there are an awful lot of couples who just give up when things aren't working, instead of saying, let's take God's invitation to intimacy and go deeper in our understanding of each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that I wouldn't trade the intimacy forged um, in the valleys, in the mm-hmm. in the shadow lands, in the um, right in the in the yeah in the valleys in the wilderness. Um, yeah, you wouldn't trade the intimacy forged there for activity. You just no. wouldn't. No. You just you but, just wouldn't. No, but there are so many couples who who just give up because they don't know there's hope. They just think, well, my body isn't working or we can't communicate or I can't get past my trauma and then they just put everything related to sex on the shelf for for years, for decades instead of saying, "Hey, there's a deeper work that God wants to do." And uh and I think it's because again Couples don't have hope. They don't have a roadmap. Uh, and that's what I, I hope resources like this book help couples to see is that there's a rich journey that you're missing out on uh, and that God is inviting you to. Yeah, it is a roadmap. It's so helpful. Um, Jim and I each have a copy and we are actively engaging with it. Um, so let me encourage you to do the same. The book is God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Dr. Julie Slattery is the author Um, We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. You can connect with Julie online at AuthenticIntimacy.com. AuthenticIntimacy.com. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you. It's really been a, a pleasure to be with you. It's been a delight. You guys are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Sometimes, you know, it's the random things that are happening out there in the world that I think to myself, you know what? People should know about that. So a tomb, a tomb, a gravesite, a tomb linked to the legend of King Arthur is being excavated for the first time. So King Arthur, we think of as the mythical ruler of Camelot, right? Best known for pulling the magical sword Excalibur out of a stone. But there's this rock formation that actually bears his name hidden away in the English countryside. And archaeologists are, for the first time, excavating what they describe as a Neolithic chambered tomb called Arthur's Stone. So, um, you know, that's something to watch and talk about and um, maybe have a little bit of uh, fun with. Because there are times when, right, myth touches reality. 
We um, we like to think of heroic, salvific characters. And why? Why do we like to think of heroic characters who save? Because it's the storyline of the gospel. Um, and so, you know, when you're uh, when you're hearing about a, a tomb being unearthed, holding the mystery of a king, I want you to point to Easter. I want you to point to Jesus. I want you to say, hey, there's a guy who really saves, and he didn't pull a sword from a stone. The stone rolled away, and it makes salvation possible. It's not a legend of a stone. It's a real stone that covered a real tomb that led to real resurrection. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.